Hey there, welcome to episode number three of the Naked Faith Podcast. Hey, this is Monty. Today in the studio, we're going to be talking about spiritual conversations, how to have them and how to have the type that make a difference. All right, well, let's jump in today. Well, you know, spiritual conversations, uh, you know, that's something I love doing. Uh, I have conversations with people from different faiths, different walks of life, different belief systems, uh, you name it, from agnostics and atheists to uh, devoted followers of Christ. I love engaging conversation. Now, one of the things that I also do is train people and teach people, how do you have a conversation? Because have you noticed it seems like in our world today, uh, people are very binary. They're black and white, and so they don't know how to have a simple adult conversation with someone, particularly if you're having a conversation with someone who doesn't necessarily believe the same way that you do. It tends to break down. I mean, you look at that. You see that in protests picket signs. You see that in the way that uh, even some Christians can't seem to have a conversation unless they're hammering you over the head with scripture and telling you about all the wrong things you've done in your life. Now, I don't know about you, but I have not found that to be very effective. In fact, I remember I was uh, I was uh, going to a Mariners game uh, this last season, and uh, as I'm heading to the, I'm heading to the stadium, Safeco Field, and uh and there's a guy out front and he's got the sign, the big sign about, you know, you're all going to hell and, you know, God hates you. And and he's standing there all alone. There's nobody around him. He's holding his sign. He's got his bullhorn. And, you know, I just slowly walked up to him and I said, hey, buddy, you know, does it even work for you? <laughs> Have you had any fruit from this type of interaction with people? to come at people so negatively and so condescendingly. Now, I know his heart was in the right place, but his methods and his tactics, uh, I think, hurt him and hurt the cause of Christianity more than it helps. Now, we also live in a, in a time when a lot of younger Christians are, are going to the other extreme. Have you noticed that? It's like, nah, I don't want to talk about my faith at all. Uh, I'm just going to show people my faith by the things that I do. You know, uh, I think it was Augustine who said, you know, uh, preach the gospel at all times, use words if you must. And so some younger Christians have taken that to the other pendulum ex extreme, and they end up not sharing truth or sharing their story or sharing their faith because they are afraid they're going to offend people. So we live so binary. We live on one side or the other. It's one way to share or no ways to share. But there is another option. There's a way to engage people and to have spiritual conversations. But at the core of your conversation, it has to be motivated by actual compassion or care or even love. If you are having a spiritual conversation merely to uh, convert someone, well, this is where the problem lies. People see through that. They don't think you're authentic. Uh, they don't feel that they are valuable and that they're only another notch on your belt. We actually need to care about people and enter into conversation with them. And I have had, I mean, hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of conversations. 
this way, and many people have ended up becoming a follower of, of Christ simply because of the uh, respect that was afforded them in the conversation. Truth wasn't held back, uh, but it was shared in the right way and at the right time. I want to read you a quote by Ignatius of Antioch. He lived uh, in AD 50 to 117, and he wrote, he's one of the early church uh, leaders. He wrote in his letter to the Ephesians uh, this quote. He said, pray without ceasing on behalf of everyone. For in them there is hope of repentance so that they may attain to God. Permit then to be instructed by your works. If in no other way, be meek in response to their wrath, humble in opposition to their boasting, to their blasphemies, return your prayers. In contrast to their error, be steadfast in the faith. And for their cruelty, display your gentleness. While we take care not to imitate their conduct, let us be found their brothers in all true kindness. I think Ignatius is speaking to the very same thing that I'm speaking, that there's a there's a leaning of the heart, there's a positioning of the soul towards people that is winsome. Uh, you know, I, I ponder that quote, and I, I ponder that quote in light of uh, my spiritual conversations I've had with people, in light of the trainings I've led to, to help people have better conversations. And, and I think Ignatius has nailed some key points for us. He, uh, Ignatius of Antioch, he was a disciple of the Apostle John, the Apostle John who wrote the Gospel of John, uh, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, the letters, and then uh, the last book in the Bible, the Revelation of, of St. John. And he was the second or the third bishop of Antioch when the church was centered there. And in, later in his life, Ignatius was martyred in the Colosseum in Rome, and, and uh, I tell you that uh, that martyrdom was was just gruesome. The the lions were unleashed, and uh, he was martyred for his faith. But you know, under the tutelage of John the apostle, the heartbeat of Jesus was just a thin veil away, and it's easily encountered in the life of Ignatius as you read his words and if you would meditate on his willingness to die for his faith. The response of Jesus towards his accusers and his executioners is hovering really close to the surface in that statement of Ignatius. The commands, the interactions of the rabbi Jesus that we so easily dismiss. We say, oh, those, those were possible for Jesus because he was God. Well, guess what? Somehow, all of the commands and all the, the lifestyle choices we see somehow become enfleshed in Ignatius's words, and they leave us no room for escape. But I tell you, they leave me plenty of room to squirm. Broken down, each thought is completely other-centered in that quote. It's a sort of self-amnesia that majors on compassion, unattached to self-need or even really self-promotion. First uh, stanza really is about praying all the time, for everyone. Pray without ceasing on behalf of everyone. Starts there. May your prayers not be all about you. May they be all about other people. I don't know how you're praying most days, but uh, let me encourage you. Uh, 
when you pray, start thinking of others, lifting up them and what's going on in their life, the struggles that they face. I think a second movement in Ignatius' words is that your prayers can help those who are far away from God move towards him because there is hope for everyone to turn towards God. Ignatius says, for in them, your prayers, there is hope of repentance so that they may attain to God. So if you're praying for friends and family, maybe you're praying for that person that you ran into at Starbucks that you had a conversation with. That if you would pray for them, that God would be close, that God would speak, that God would move in their lives. He then moves to preaching. He says, preach to people by serving them, doing good for them, demonstrating compassion and godly service. This is critical. Uh, we don't just tell people to believe like us, but we actually show them what we believe by our behaviors, by our actions, by um, even our inactions. So uh, Ignatius is saying that a key way to preach the gospel uh, is by our actions. So that is really, really important. He then goes on to, he says, control yourself when others unleash their anger on you. Maybe you have a neighbor that is anti-Christian or is against faith or, or God in any concept. And, and you, maybe you're a recipient of the wrath of your neighbor, Wally. Uh, Ignatius reminds us, control yourself when others unleash their anger on you. Uh, our response is humility. Our response is graciousness. Our response is love. This is showing that there is something different about us. And again, it also shows that you're not attached to uh, expectations of how someone will receive what you have to say or what other people think of you. That is probably one of the most freeing things that you can do. The fifth thing he notes in that, uh, in that, in that portion is that seek the higher road of humility when others fill the air with self-promotion. Now, admittedly, we live in a world where everyone self-promotes. Selfies are the biggest postings you see on Facebook, right? Facebook is full of information all about us. Look at what I did. Look at what I ate. Look at what I'm going to do. Look at what I was thinking about. Look at what I wasn't thinking about. Look at my cat. Look at my dog. <laughs> you name it. Facebook is all about self-promotion. Uh, Ignatius would remind us that we should seek the higher road of humility when everyone else fills the air with self-promotion. What does that look like for you? What does that look like for me? How do we share what matters most in our lives? How do we engage and serve our neighbors and our friends and our family in such a way that they see our faith is real and it's founded on something really, really deep within us? The next thing Ignatius gives us, he says, pray for others when they accuse, belittle, condemn, or slander you. I think that's probably one of the hardest admonitions that Ignatius gives us in that uh, prayer of his. When people slander me, I tell you, I want to prove I'm right. I want to prove that they're wrong. When people condemn me, uh, you know, I, I, the tendency is that green monster inside wants to rise up and condemn back. Someone puts me down. I, you know, I think the natural response for all of us is to put them down. If they accuse, uh, we want to we wanna prove their accusations are false. Hmm. Ignatius says when all of those things happen, and they will happen, 
we pray for them. Wow. Instead of just jumping to the defense, we trust that God is bigger than any of our accusers, that God is bigger than the slander. God's bigger than the condemnation. And what we do is we begin to pray for that person. I have a feeling that might open up a spiritual conversation somewhere down the road when we don't play tit for tat like the rest of our culture does, but we rise above it, that we take the high road, we go the extra mile. And when people <laughs> drop on us like that, may our first prayer, my, our first response, I mean, uh, be prayer. I'm with Ignatius on that. That takes a transforms life. I'm going to tell you that right now. That, that takes someone whose heart is surrendered to the Holy Spirit on a moment-by-moment, breath-by-breath um, process. That's the only way that we're going to be able to pray for other people to uh, take the high road of humility, to control ourselves when others unleash on us. The next thing that uh, Ignatius says in that prayer is to stay committed to what is true when others fall for all of the false and empty philosophies of the world. You know, I run into this a lot, even within the tribe of Christianity. There's always the latest and the greatest. There's always, you know, the next best God movement church or conference or seminar or worship album or you name it. There's always the next best thing that people are trying to get you to look at. And the truth of the matter is, the full force of the Trinity dwells within you all the time. When you said yes to Jesus, you didn't get just a little portion of God. You got all of God dwelling within you. And so we need to stay committed to the one true thing, the one true north, uh, that, that is the presence and the work and the person of Jesus Christ. Don't fall for all the fads and all the methodologies and everything else, but stay focused and committed to the person and the work of Jesus. And I think you'll begin to find the power to take the higher road because the only way you're going to have hope to live a life that reflects the beauty of God is because of Christ in you. That's what Paul reminds us in Colossians. It's Christ in us, the hope of glory. The next thing Ignatius noted in there is, he says, be gentle. When others are merciless. Boy, I cannot tell you how many times I've been in a conversation where someone was just not happy about something, whether something I said, something I've done, or maybe some way that the church or, or, or someone else had let them down. And when the torrent is coming at you, to be gentle is not always easy. But being gentle is what creates a much safer space and it's the best chance you're ever going to have at having a much deeper level conversation to find out what is really, really going on. When someone is that triggered with you, there's a deeper issue than whatever it is that brought them in the room. That's just the tip of the iceberg. And it ignited something that was far deeper. Gentleness and respect are, are keys in a spiritual conversation to get to that thing, whatever it is that lies deep within. So he says, be gentle when others are merciless. The uh, last thing I pulled out of there is he says, don't imitate their path, but love them on their journey, regardless of where they're at, exhibiting kindness and brotherliness. Boy, I tell you, those are just some powerful thoughts. In some ways, they're impossible thoughts. In fact, 
These thoughts are alarming because they promise pain and suffering without recourse, without justification, or even a necessary happy ending. Instead, they offer us an invitation into the sufferings of Christ, where our soul will be forged in ways that we don't want, can't handle, and will probably try to escape from. Trust is the only response that will work. But I tell you, trust isn't something that can be conjured up like a late night snack or a story to cover your tracks. Nah, trust, trust is something that's birthed between the worlds of chaos and confusion. It's in that thin space where the voice of God speaks to the follower of Jesus who is forever doubting, forever struggling, forever running, ducking and hiding from that voice of love. Trust says, not my will, but yours be done. Trust cries, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit and trust sighs. I believe, help my unbelief. That desolate place is where Jesus rescues the bedraggled among us, the ones who have no option other than God, the ones who know their default system setting is to try to create their own trust, build their own reality, convince themselves and others that they're someone that they're really not. And then they wake up sweating in the night knowing the false world that they've created is a silly sham that the big bad wolf could easily huff, puff, and <laughs> blow down. These are the ones Jesus came for. Brute honesty has a way of surfacing when we sit among the displaced straw, right? And God always responds to our honesty by increasing our faith, which intensifies our hope that welds handles onto trust so that we can grasp it firmly. This is the great trial of the soul. Will I believe and hold on to the truth that God loves me even at my worst? Will I define myself not by my mistakes and blunders, but rather as one unconditionally loved by the God who created black holes, raging seas, distant galaxies, and the human DNA? The presence of Trinity dwelling within us by faith is not myth, idiocy, theological gymnastics, a last-ditch Hail Mary, or the conjecture of weak-willed people. You see, Jesus brings about God's presence within us which is the most real part of me, the only solid ground in a world full of shadows. So while I might want to run away, hide, pretend, or shrink into the shadows, the gift of trust born from the love between the Father and the Son, revealed on the cross of Calvary, will rise, laying a hold of me even as I lay a hold of it. And all of it, all of it is a gift. All of it is grace. All of it is divine love. Trust removes our fear of God and our fear of ourselves. He smiles as we approach him with all our broken pieces because he knows we have finally allowed ourselves to be loved just as we are and not the way we think that we should be. And it's here, here in this sacred space, we choose to go beyond the extra mile, extending to others the very same grace and acceptance we have received from God. We offer it willingly, we offer it sacrificially, and we offer it fearlessly because we finally know that God is good even when the path is dark. So Father, today, help me to trust. 
Well, thanks for tuning in to the Naked Faith Podcast today. Don't forget to check us out online at www.nakedfaith.net. Also, would really appreciate it if you can go and give us uh, some good scoring on iTunes. Uh, otherwise, have a phenomenal week, and we will see you when we're back in the studio.